Welcome, Captain. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm known throughout the quadrant as John C. Oh, was that too loud? <laughs> I wanted to make sure it got picked up by the microphone. It did not get picked up by the microphone. But Greg had a great little dance going, which probably His came head. from Star Trek Acid Party. He was headbanging. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek: The Next Generation and reengage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the Gen X kids. We were when it first aired. Today, we're talking about the 15th episode of season 5, Power Play, and I am so excited to welcome my friends and fellow WWE fans to discuss this episode named after my favorite card to play in Dune Imperium. Jimmy, welcome to this podcast. Power play. Power play. Yes. Eric Curry, how are you doing? Yes, thank you, Greg Tito. I am pleased to be here on your podcast evening. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Savage Curry is here today, and it is wonderful to behold. Kate Yeager, how are you doing? I am doing so well. Uh, as you know, we couldn't hear what you were playing, but in my brain, it was, I like to move it, move it. Uh, and it very much fits the way that you were dancing. And I will take uh, no further questions. That is 100% valid. I am here for it. This is an exciting episode because we get some turn of affairs happening from different characters being different people's. Uh, And we'll get to talking about all that. It is, of course, taking place during star date 45571.2 in our world. That first aired on February 24th, 1992. And I struggled with trying to find any history notable things happening that weren't depressing. And I failed. So uh, here we go. We get to really talk about some really good things. Because on February 26th, two days after this aired, the Irish Supreme Court ruled that a 14-year-old victim of rape may get an abortion. They may travel to Britain in order to get that procedure done. Uh, And that was in 92. And I remember that being talked about a lot here. Uh, because of it, it was it was almost like looked down upon me, like oh, America's got abortion, and those silly Irish and their Irish Catholics, they don't they won't let the kid get an abortion, even when it's you know such a horrible story like this. And oh, how the times have turned. Uh-huh. Oh, but they've gotten so much better for Ireland. Ireland has been great. Yeah, in 2018, they legalized abortion uh, uh, across not across the board. I think there are some still restrictions on there. Uh, but that is not the case, uh, of course, right now here in America, in many states. It'll change soon. It's going to change soon. Um, but don't worry. I've got even uh, a more terrible thing to tell you all about uh, that also occurred on this date. I love uh, po- poking this bear uh, and telling uh, all the terrible things. Um, but in a city called Kajoli in Azerbaijan, uh, in northern, uh, like north of Turkey, south of Georgia, uh, there was a terrible massacre between the Armenians and the Azerbaijanis, uh, and more than 600 people were killed. Um, and I only really wanted to bring this up because it actually the hostilities around this were just kind of ended 
a few days ago uh, here in 2024. So there was a uh, many wars about this territory. The Armenians and the Azerbaijanis both uh, were fighting over it. Then in its own, uh, it became its own state uh, for about 20 years, and we're fighting basically a three-way civil war uh, for this territory. And it has uh, finally uh, concluded with that state uh, no longer existing. It was dissolved, and I believe it is now all part of Azerbaijan, uh, the, mm. the smaller country next to Armenia. And that just happened in 20, January 1st, 2024. So interesting connection there. Now, it is, as always, Kate's duty to bring us back up with some happy <laughs> tones that might have been happening during this time. All right, I'm back. I'm for you. I'm here for you. Uh, the number Thank one you. song continued to be I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. Uh, yeah. The 34th Grammy Awards took place, and pretty much all of the awards of the evening went to Natalie Cole for her version of Unforgettable that wow. she uh, put out with the recording with her father, um, which I remember being a, a big deal. Totally a big deal. It was played everywhere. Because the technology like came together to make it happen, and also just the sentimentality of it all, and also it was just really beautiful. And in the movies, Wayne's World, Wayne's World. Nice. Was number one. Was that an aspirated eat? It was. Wayne's. <laughs> and on the great Broadway, Crazy For You <laughs> opened for 1,622 performances, which is one that I, I have seen live and, that's a lot. and loved. That's a lot of performances. And that's what was happening in the world of pop culture. <laughs> wow, wow. I love it. That note is too sexy for this podcast. <laughs> it was like five notes in one. So let's just <laughs> clarify that. That's the spectrum. GBG, what was happening behind the scenes of this particular episode? Were there power plays between the director and the writers uh i don't know that there was power plays between the directors and the writers but there were a shit ton of writers before it finally was handed off uh to the final two who polished it off uh and gave us our final script it originally was going to be a bottle episode with uh the heavy concentration with a battle a psychological battle between picard and Troy in a single room. That, of course, expanded out. And instead of becoming a cheap bottle episode, it became one of the more expensive episodes of the season uh, due to the crash, uh, the, the shuttle crashing and the laser fight that happened uh, later on. And one of the little fun things is uh, Marina, Brent, and Comb all came up with uh, nicknames for their alter egos, which was a Buzz Slugger. <laughs> Uh, and let me put my readers on for this last one. A slash. <laughs> they don't say who took what <laughs> nickname. So I'll leave it up to you, dear listeners, to decide who took what. Um, and uh, when they're on the planet, they were on stage 16 and they did their typical, you know, like hellscape planet. They went over on shooting, had to go into a second day. The director, Livingston, was actually worried about Brent Spiner's uh, contacts due to the um, blowing sand for the effect uh, and the sand was so much that they had to stop shooting midday so that Marina could um, shower and totally redress her costuming because it was affecting her so much wow. Oh, that is all from the Nimitic files do, 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 do. 
<laughs> Excellent. Uh, I don't even think that. Well, we'll get to that effect and whether it was worth it in the conversation. But uh, uh, Eric, no real amount of. Uh... Hey, hey, man, uh, there was one guy with a chin who took over for the uh, for the uh, what do you call it? transporter room. He had a line. He did. What was his name? I don't know his name. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. He's, he was canceled. But we yeah, salute him. It, it doesn't matter. So uh, those are the co-stars. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You get the best research sometimes. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into the events of this plot proper. Uh, it starts, of course, with the captain's log. We are in an orbit of an M-class moon, and uh, the moon was uh, thought to be uninhabited. And they get a distress signal. It goes off very loudly. It's annoying, the sound design on that one. Uh, so good job, I guess, right? <laughs> it, it plays for about 30 seconds uh, underneath all this dialogue, uh, which I think is unnecessary. <laughs> and then uh, we get the sense that there is a uh, ship. The USS Essex might have been disappeared around this time 200 years ago. They talk a lot about the Daedalus class starship, and Riker is trying to scratch his brain from history class. Being like, oh, what was the Daedalus class? <laughs> um, and uh, they talk a little bit about the uh, subspace signature and how it was identical to what they had there. So they have a clean idea. They might have found this long lost wreckage. And then Counselor Choi says, wait a second, I sense life. We might have got here just in time. Wow. So what do we get from this opening? I wonder if her feelings will pay off this time. <laughs> totally. She opened herself up to him. Worst superpowers ever. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, what did you think about this opening? Did it, did it, did it draw you in? I, you know, there is something about the, I don't know if it's a trope or not, but the idea of like well it's an old signal so we'll just ignore it right which is you hope that if you were ever in that situation where you were the one that had to like do the beacon that that wouldn't be you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> the sort of overarching thought behind it so certainly it's nice having an empath on board for that reason alone i always think of the old scene in uh, on the beach where the entire world is basically dead and the last uh, submarine <laughs> that's still going, uh, here's a telegraph signal from San Francisco. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they show up and send one guy out in a radioactive suit. And he finds a Coke bottle like on a <laughs> uh, string from the blinds on the window, just like randomly smacking the little thing. Oh. <laughs> it's just a completely <laughs> dead city. And they came from Australia to wow. <laughs> fucking find it. It's killer. So I love the old signal trope as well. Big fan. It is good. It's a very matter of fact opening too. Like there's not a lot of character development or anything. It is very much like this is the this is the premise, and we're gonna sting <laughs> you here. <laughs> Picard has that turnaround after Troy says that she feels something, and then feels that like hold it, hold it for another ten seconds, uh, and I love it. Credits roll, and we get straight to action after that matter-of-fact bridge open. And, boy, this is some really turbulence uh, happening to Riker. You can tell because the camera is moving. <laughs> they are smacking that camera. Oh, oh. 
So when they do that, and maybe, I don't know, any of you can answer this. Is it actually just, they just tell you to like move back and forth and pretend that you're being jostled around? Yeah. You know, they they might choreograph, you know, follow, follow my hand as to which way the, the bridge is tilting, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I remember a guy who did Suzuki and they did Moby Dick. And there was a guy in the back of the theater that was holding a staff that went back and forth to the beat so that each of the actors who were on stage were looking at this guy, who was my friend Oliver, uh, just making sure the sways were all in in time with each other. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, I thought that was overkill. I didn't think it was necessary. I think they probably could have done that on their own. Uh, I will say... (laughs) You didn't need a staff. You didn't need someone telling you what to sway. Yeah, anyway. Uh, (laughs) It was very important. Control freak. It was a Suzuki control freak moment. Uh, But they didn't have that in this one because they were all over the place. They, uh, you know, whatever. Then all of a sudden, my favorite bit, the camera turns all the way around 360 and you're like, whoa, they're upside down now. (laughs) Very funny sequence. Uh, Probably not meant to be funny, but did you all kind of get a kick out of this? moment yeah i wasn't worried about any of these characters they're gonna be fine <laughs> yeah, totally they crash land on the surface it's a very stormy uh, uh blue gray area uh lots of smoke uh data go ahead and, and and takes everything out of the shuttlecraft that wasn't damaged and it's basically a tricorder uh and Riker's arm is very stiff at being held he thinks he broke it right away but he's being very manly and not complaining about it do you think he did a good job of lying about his uh his arm being broken Eric <laughs> <laughs> well I have I have an awful lot of uh happy feelings about Riker's performance in this particular episode uh, and it kind of starts with that. He always walks like his hip is broken anyway. So like <laughs> <laughs> when he when he adds his arm to that, it's it's really delightful. They don't pick up any life signs with the tricorder that is still working. Uh, but Troy is certain there is life there and it's coming along with the storm. Mm. Foreshadowing there. Valkyrie. Yes. <laughs> are the spirits on the enterprise Jordy and uh chief o'brien we get colmini back uh he is talking about how he's got a plan to beam down through the storm before it gets worse it's a 50 50 chance but he can make it uh he knows he'll get the the stabilizers in in time uh, to make it happen and this feels like a really cavalier quick rescue mission right kate well Especially since we spend so much time with him and Keiko, like when we do, the fact that there's no sort of like, tell my wife I love her, like on his way out (laughs) was disconcerting to me. But uh, Picard does, you know, disqualify himself for being held responsible. (laughs) Yeah, understand the risks here, right? I'm absolved of any responsibility should you uh, not come back to your wife and daughter. <laughs> should the 50-50 chance of you not coming right. back to your wife and daughter. Right. Uh, you're here an adult. Make it. Make the choice. All yeah. right, cool. See ya. That's where, that's where you need a script doctor, right? It's like, everything's great. Let's just cut the 50-50 part. That way people aren't yeah. like, uh, why aren't you <laughs> giving him like some soliloquy with Keiko, a kiss goodbye to his daughter? Like, just cut the line and we're fine. Right. That's it. You're probably right. I guess I was like, what would what would be an acceptable chance? 90, 80, 60, 40? Probably not right. But like, just cut it. You're right, Jimmy. That would have been better. 
Um, but he's badass and he does it anyway, uh, even though Jordy is uh, arguing against it and Worf says that they can they can make it happen. And so wishes him luck. He does, in fact, beam down. And my favorite exchange of this episode is Riker and uh, O'Brien having that back and forth of like, oh, great, great place to have a picnic. Oh, it's time for time for lunch, Miles. Like they're trying to be like so <laughs> chummy and over the top uh, camaraderie here. Did you did you all clock that? What did you think, Eric? I love it. He says, you know, Molly's angry when I'm late. I'm like that little fucking potato doesn't know what the hell you are. Come on. <laughs> she does later, though. We'll get to that. She's a very good actress. Right. How come how come there was no report on that baby? What has that baby done? <laughs> it's <laughs> 30 decades. Sorry, yeah, I fell down on that shit. That stupid fucking baby. Worst baby I've ever seen. <laughs> Boo to baby. <laughs> Kick it. I was gonna Go say ahead, uh it definitely there's something about them being so cavalier about like, will jokey joke, 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 uh, <laughs> that makes what happens next be like, oh dear, right? Because like, even though we know like the 50-50 odds are happening and, and there's tension, there's that, um, well, and there's also a certain reality of when things get tense, people just talk mm. shit, right? <laughs> like... Like to try to relieve the tension yeah, yeah. and try to try to get past it and to try to sort of not let it r- rule the moment. Um, but I, I found it a really interesting because it does sort of pull the rug out from underneath you very quickly. This episode gets to the points quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, the opening is very short. This, you know, we get to this moment pretty quickly, too. It's got things to say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded that now that you made that point about MASH and how they were always diffusing the awful tensions that are going on in those conflicts mm-hmm. and in the in the thing with with the humor. And that was like 90% of the jokes of the third first three seasons were mm-hmm. all about like just, oh, we're graveyard humor. And you're totally right. It felt very similar to that, like 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 military, like the like uh like a Starfleet is. They get the pattern enhancers down and it makes a nice little triangle laser beam effect. Uh, which looks pretty cool. And they're about to beam out when... It's purple. It's purple. It's colored. It's really neat. Um, but then <laughs> lightning strikes and John Cena shows up uh, and <laughs> knocks them all out. Small little balls of light come and embody three of them. Not that one goes to Riker and leaves. It's like, fuck this. No, this guy's a dick. It was a laugh out loud. A smile yeah. out loud moment for me. I could just see the, like, the, the little dot having like a stinky face. Like, ugh. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank this you. One's, this one's dirty. This one definitely has some STDs. Yeah. I'm not going in there. Um, and then uh, it is Riker that wakes up and does the pattern enhancer and all of a sudden they're able to beam out uh, and everything's okay. I thought it was interesting that he's the one who wakes up and does it even though I, it, it, I was a little bit confused by this moment on the first viewing because I was like, was he a bad guy at that point or not? The thing moving in and out, like it was very much like, why was he the one who woke up to do it? It might have been stronger if the other ones were. And I, I take that on me because it was a dumb thing. To think 
but they're up. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, Thank you. I know. Thank you for your service. They're in sick bay, and uh, all three of them are all being administered to by the medical staff. And Picard comes in and kind of goes down the line and says, "Miles, good job." And you know, Riker, ready for service. Oh, I've had broken arms before. I can deal with this. And then they get to Troy, who ha- wakes up with that awful scream again. I feel like this is a, now a trope with Counselor Troy, where she things happen to her when she's sleeping. <laughs> on this show yeah 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 the, it, this episode was not kind to people who uh don't like loud noises though between her scream <laughs> and then the baby for forever uh yeah and the loud annoying alarm from the beginning yes correct totally it was it, it definitely put us off kilter right so we don't know we don't know as the audience what's happening with her yet and they all go onto the turbo lift there's a bit of a weird red herring here where data is talking and he has like a weird like glitch when he's talking what did you guys think of that moment because it felt like it wasn't really developed uh again past this what did you think was happening there jimmy i'm going to give it to you because your sci-fi brain what do you think he was what what was happening in that moment? Uh, I loved it. I it didn't bother me at all because it seemed indicative of it, this is uh, he's and I didn't know it at the moment that it happened, but it was a glitch that he explains pretty uh, easily. You know, oh sorry, I'll fix that. It, it'll just take me a second, and then eventually go. Oh, this is the entity learning how to integrate in there, and there was uh, just a, a flaw. And I thought it was a nice tipping the hat. It was like here's a clue. Hmm. The, the, these aren't that was the first one of these aren't the people you think they are and in retrospect once we figure out what's going on with them it's neat that there is a glitch going into data because he is different than the other two right because there's a lot of mm. argument to be made like well should they have been able to have taken over data or not and if it was smooth sailing then I would ask that question more but there was a glitch therefore I'm like all right, they fixed mm. it. <laughs> and, and also, Kate, just to piggyback on that, because of that little glitch sound that he makes, I think he probably was Buzz. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh. Yep. yep. But see, he's mean. He's like the meanest out of the three of them, so I thought he was Slash. Slash. Yeah, we'll find I out. I thought he was uh, Bruiser. Bruiser. Puncher. Oh, yeah, Bruiser. Actually, that does make sense because he's always trying to fight Worf. We'll get to that. Fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles names. (laughs) Shredder. (laughs) One cool thing. It's a a small little note. In the turbo lift, after they get out, the three of them, the three who are in cahoots, have a share a little look after after Data's explanation of that glitch, what they were going to do. Now, if only they had actually planned which plan they were going to go with instead of all three of them doing three different plans at once. Because immediately what happens, uh, Troy takes Picard into the ready room, Data goes to his station, and basically tries to be like, no, we're going over this polar ice region. Excuse me, southern polar region. They say it a thousand (laughs) times in this fucking episode. Over and fucking over this southern polar region. We fucking get it. Sorry, you knew that was a note, right? That was probably like a note that some executive gave you. Like, well, where are they going? Why is it? It's got to be named again and again, <laughs> over and over. <laughs> Gross. Um, and he and, and Data, you get a little bit more of him being like, thank you, sir. Like, he's got a little bit of sass, which we've had. We've seen Data have some sass before. Like, he definitely does show when he is, like, 
computing things that aren't matching his algorithm. But this, for the first time, felt like he was like, yes, sir, I'll do what you say for now. <laughs> uh, with when Riker is uh, telling him to go not over the southern polar region. Did you guys, what, any any thoughts there of, of Data's possible insubordination? <laughs> well, I, I, I really liked it. I, of course, I didn't remember the episode. I never do. <laughs> but it never entered my mind oh this is a lore episode mm. which is a great tell for Spiner that it, it he didn't seem loreish. it was this was different so you know kudos uh, of course um, once again to Brent Spiner because it was it was nice that it didn't fall into a, a pattern and I just immediately went oh this must be a lore thing that's a really good point because it very easily could have been like oh this is the same alter ego that is he's embodied before, but no, you're right. It is very different. Angry. He's so angry. <laughs> this character. Um, I did note that little look between the three of them. Uh, and then immediately they divide, which I yeah. thought was cool. Right. Like I agree with you that they did not have a good plan. There was no concrete plan, <laughs> but it reminded me of like, if you're going to case out a joint, right? Like you would go in and you would divide immediately and like work your angles because it, yeah. it just, it um, it's like getting the old crew back together, right? Like, cause everyone has their angle that they're going to work and, and everyone has their job that they know they have to do. I don't know. I just thought it was neat. No, that is cool. I almost wonder now, I'm like, what's the backstory of amongst these yes. criminals, mm -hmm. these entities? Did they have to draw straws? Who is going to be the people who got to embody them this time? And the guy who was came, coming to be Riker, the, the entity that was going to be Riker, is like, shit, I got to wait another 200 years before I get to embody anybody. You lost your turn. Anyway. He doesn't know what he was missing out on. I know, right? He I mean, had... 200 years, his little light dot, he would have had a blast as Riker. <laughs> I mean. In the ready room, Troy is being very Troy-like in describing uh, the telepathic communication she was having with these entities. And... I didn't really clock that she was being somewhat different or strange until she says, what does she say, Eric? The Southern Polar... Southern Polar Region. <laughs> Southern polar region. And then I was like, hmm, that's exactly what Data said with the exact same uh, accent on it. They even so, almost later gave Picard an out and had him say the Southern Pole. And then I'm like, okay, finally, they didn't finish it. And the very next sentence, he says, what about that region? And I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. Would you have minded SPR? Oh. Yes. I would have course. preferred it because then there's an acknowledgement. I didn't even get my acknowledgement. <laughs> So she is uh, convincing him to do something. But in the meantime, uh, whoever is Data decides to ignore Riker's orders. As Ensign Rolaren, who is in this one, says, hey, uh, did you override my order because of that fight we're in? Because remember when we did it? I'm still thinking of the previous episode. Oh. He says, no, do you know anything about that data? And then instead of Data having any explanation or trying to talk his way out of it, it's bang, boom, right into the fights. He fists him right in the solar plexus. <laughs> I'm tired of all this crap. There is a wang dang fight happening here. Lots of phaser fire. Uh, of course, Worf gets a lot of jumps back. Michael Dorn does wonderful work. I don't know if it's him or his, <laughs> his double. I that, though. He jumps backwards. <laughs> use Worf because he's supposed to be the strong. He's like, well, if we want to show that somebody's strong, have him throw Worf or punch it's him. It's like, how does it should be in the Cole Meany suddenly game. become strong enough to throw a Klingon 
over the the comms thing. He yeah. got a whole alien in him. He got a whole. How alien does that make you stronger? Jimmy? Suddenly, like your muscles become it's bigger. This particular light alien ball. You become twice <laughs> as like strong you. because there are two of you. Duh. Yes. It's just pure math. It's all. It? It's one whole mm-hmm. Irishman and a tiny little light bulb. <laughs> you know, I've never been good at math, so that's probably why I didn't get the equation there. Can I? Can I ask though, Jimmy? Were you not delighted, as we always are? When Riker is demolished without being expected to, <laughs> so then he gets up. He gets up and his hair's like all fucked. And he's like, oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> he's like, security, please to the bridge. About to die, and it was the best. Yeah, it was. Oh, we got to fist him in the solar plexus more often. I love also that. So, when uh, Picard is like, Well, something's happening out there, and he goes and opens his door to the ready room, and then we get a nice two hands braided together punch in the back of the neck from Troy to knock him out immediately. Is that true? Yeah, Can classic. you really knock someone out that way? Let's find out. So. Put him right in the turnbuckle. Yes. <laughs> I think maybe you'd break maybe one of your fingers. Yeah, that's not if you do it like that. It's, it's like I, th- I think they're looking for a similar physiological effect as the Vulcan neck pinch, mm. and I'm not sure they're going for it correctly. Is it but I, thing? I, <laughs> the Betazoid back hammer. <laughs> I mean, just to stick with the uh, wrestling theme for the day. Yeah, he's John Cena. I love it. I love That's it. What I was, he's off the top rope. That's what I was thinking about when I was like, oh my gosh. Oh. Wait, she could have taken the ship model and like hit him over the head with it or something or a no, data pad. But no. Backhammer. Yeah, just <laughs> off the top rope. Make it happen. Oh, oh, just a classic Betazoid backhammer. So all hell breaks loose. Riker says, you know, cha- I think this is actually the smartest thing is where he's like, change all the uh, controls to engineering, not the bridge. And that locks them out and and Data gets very angry and punches the console. Arr, he's hulking out. Um, but they all escape and uh, get into the turbo lift. And it's up to Ro Laren, uh, the captain, and Riker to put the pieces together on the bridge. There is a lot of action here as they shut down the turbo lifts. There's a nice misdirect where Worf thinks he's got him. The elevator door is going to open. Uh, but it was just their comm badges left behind. Boom. Heisted. Got heisted. The old comm badges in the turbo lift ruse. Love it. took out my tracker and put it here. This is the thing you've been tracking, and it's not. It's on the dog. The dog is running away. (laughs) It's that old thing. It's so good. But it works here. It really does. I don't think we've seen that in in this type of an action-based episode in a long time. They override the force field by uh, Data hulking out once again. Uh, he says, my entity's carbon structure is going to be use here. And he breaks glass. What about you, Eric? What do you got? After he does that and they're walking out of the frame uh, towards the camera, it's it's really just Data's whole physicality. He goes from being this tall, lanky, svelte android into this little bulldog. I mean, he looks shorter he looks, uh, he moves more quickly. He, he, his center of gravity is lower. Like 
it's just so good. Like most working actors, most good working actors cannot do what Brent Spiner does in this episode. And he, he doesn't bring attention to it at all. It's just his performance of the character. And it's just a fucking joy to watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was the scene that made me really, really think that right away. Agreed. Agreed. They get the 10 forward um, after they break through the force fields. And that's where we see... Keiko is there with Molly, and Molly is already upset even before they walk in, <laughs> right? Lots of tears. We, it's a real baby, um, so production-wise, <laughs> right? That's that's difficult to have a real baby on set for as many days as they had this baby on set, right? At least two. So it might have been abusive. It might have been abusive. <laughs> like, well, it's supposed to cry the whole time, my, so like I've done perfect. my one hour. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I wonder actually if that's true. Or like, was it supposed to cry the entire time, or was it just crying? <laughs> and they had to go with it. But we see a little bit of recognition from Miles, uh, even though they are trying to get uh, the crying child to stop. There's something. And Keiko is very confused by what's happened, but she immediately figures out, okay, this is not my husband. Well, when he goes to shoot the baby, that's a good, (laughs) that's a good clue. Did he go to shoot the baby? Did I miss that? Yes, he does. He does. Worf stops him from, you're right. He has a moment of recognition. The baby's fine. And then what, that's what makes it so chilling is that after the moment of recognition, he pulls the gun on the baby and Worf stops him. Oof, I missed that that note. Uh, that's that makes it very tough. But there's nonstop shooting in here, right? This is like a basically a firefight, and it's one of the longest, st- most stressful ones for me because there's this is r- rare for Star Trek in that there are innocents involved uh, in in this, right? It's not just an away team of trained professionals. There's people getting just laid out in this, <laughs> and it's right? Troy that does it. Yes. Someone we know. She gets shot a couple of times, as does uh, uh, all three of them with phasers. Worf is in there shooting away back at them. No effect. They get a little like, ow, and then they come and fire right back. So that's the other thing is that they seem invincible. Well, Jimmy, later on they talk about someone has a level five phaser injury. So uh, where does that oh. fit in on the... Oh. Uh, on the well, on it's the... curious... Because it, it implies it implies other levels heretofore unnamed or mentioned. Right, but those levels may fit into the nine we already have. Mm. Is the, the, so which one would five be? Is five know. melt rock? Is I five... I, right, no, no. I, 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 I fell down on this one, as you said earlier. I, uh, <laughs> I did not pick that up in uh, due, due diligent... Uh, investigation on where that would fall in our uh, already long list of phaser settings. I'm just asking for a best guess. You are you are best an guess. I would say field. it's um kill uh kill girlfriend settings. <laughs> <laughs> you know that one that oh, Riker man. had. <laughs> right. That was a pretty tough setting, right? if I remember. Yeah. <laughs> we do need medical assistance in ten but forward. I, I guess that would be like level ten. So level five is the um. It is just stun your colleague setting. <laughs> but there's also another Oof. list of, um, it's funny you brought that up because I was just thinking we need to start a list of here's all the reasons for not having families aboard. <laughs> the this is reason number 47. <laughs> After that all happens, Worf gets laid out, of course, and we have a great look up at the bridge where uh, Riker is there and he says, multiple shots fired and Tem Foyard. And we call in to find out what's happening. Worf report. 
But it is Troy's voice who says, yes, we hear you, Bridge. And another wonderful mug by Jean-Luc Picard. What's happening? Troy is bad now? (laughs) (laughs) We go to commercial and come back and we have a captain's log updating us as to what's happening. And they've seized 10 forward. And this is where, you know, the initial pitch of the episode was going to start i assume right where it was just going to be in one area uh, and have the the kind of hostage situation but we're here for a little while in 10 forward they then decide to talk uh picard just calls in and says hey 10 forward what up what's your deal what's your demands what's going to happen and again she says <laughs> why we're are you not acting gonna... so messed up towards us <laughs> why i knew you wouldn't even believe me uh so <laughs> They own their only demand is to go into an orbit over where is it? SPR. <laughs> we don't want to trigger Eric. <laughs> SPR. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. They're just coasting over the SPR in possibly the worst shot of this uh, episode. The star is clearly not moving behind them, but Data or whoever is embodying Data says, Yep, no, they did it. They moved. <laughs> you can, I can tell. From the stars that aren't moving behind me. Crusher says uh, that perhaps uh, the reason why Riker was not affected was because of his injury. Uh, They did not. His pain receptors were firing too hard. Maybe that was what prevented him being taken over. And so they're going to work on that idea a little bit about how to inflict pain on our friends, uh, which is always hard. Maybe they'll do a plasma shock and they got to do it through a micro micro optic drill uh, through the Jeffries Mm. tubes. And then they go in and contact them about the injuries. How bad are they? Worf does his report. And I like this little bit where he does his report of what he's supposed to say. And then he says, and they are not susceptible to phaser fire. And dude, he gets real mad. Yeah. Again. I love it. Quiet silence. Cling on. Don't give away too much information. He's always thinking this, whoever character is in data thinks everyone is going to backstab him. uh, And, and no one is, is true to their word. Uh, which is consistent throughout. And he hates kids. <laughs> he does. They all do. Doesn't want any baby <laughs> around. He says that uh, he'll exchange himself for the injured <sighs> so that they can be tended to. And uh, Riker says, no, we can't. And Picard says, but we're basically all, aren't we all hostages in life? <laughs> <laughs> So he goes down there uh, and does the exchange and says, wait for an opportunity, number one, uh, which we'll get back to that word, opportunity, as a as a signal later on. Uh, they arrive, the medical team is there, and that's where we get the leader, Troy, introducing herself as Captain Shumar of the Essex. Boom, boom, boom. Hmm. Did you buy it? Did you all buy it? What did you think, Jimmy? You're you're seem skeptical down there. No, I bought it. There wasn't any reason for me to. I mean, they were probably more gruff than I would have thought uh, Federation people to be. But um, at that moment, I was all in. Like, okay, let's see where where it goes and why they're acting the way they are. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. All captains are bastards. I I bought it. 
I don't think Picard does. I don't think he buys it. Maybe, maybe initially, but you know, by soon he understands the way they communicate. He introduces uh, Commander Steve Mullen and Lieutenant Morgan Kelly uh, as Data O'Brien, O'Brien respectively. Um, they don't want to do anything, but we just got to go home. We've been these ghosts uh, in the machine of this storm forever, and they're going to finally be released. And to Picard's you know, inquiry. Well, why didn't you just ask us? Uh, it's not really a good, a good answer. I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Well, I first love the fact that they put an Irishman inside the Irishman, uh, which I thought was <laughs> Morgan <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. A little straightforward. Yeah. I, I like that quite a bit, but as to, as to Picard there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 Story goes that lightning struck the bridge uh, as it was crashing into the southern polar region, SPR. And <laughs> that's worse that I'm saying it both ways. Uh, and that the lightning somehow <laughs> absorbed their consciousness into the magnetic currents of the storm. And uh, she said that she wouldn't explain it because that seems stupid. And we're all like, yeah, that seems really silly. How could yeah, that even po be possible? I mean, it's basically the same as Tron, only it's, you know, <laughs> a storm. Instead of... <laughs> it totally is. Or a laser taking right. you down one by one. It's like a dot matrix. Ugh. All right. Well, uh, LaForge and Row are crawling through the Jeffries tubes. They're above Tim Forward. They're going to drill in very heist-like too. this kind of scenario. They're going to drill into the ceiling and they're aiming their little ray that they've got. But they've got to get them all in this circle. The only way this is going to work is if all of them are in this circle. And uh, they got to wait. They got to wait for their time. They're calibrating the plasma inverter to make that happen. I like that both Jordy and uh, Crusher both get ideas, but they're all gonna they're both gonna take forty five minutes. Like there's <laughs> it's very convenient <laughs> and gave me a clue as to how much time I had left. It was nice. It looks to me like Ro and Jordy are taking apart an overhead projector and turning <laughs> it into some sort of weapon that they could use. It's quite well, enjoyable. Know, it was cool and refreshing <laughs> that Roe was back in. Like, I was really happy to see that we're finally seeing her more as a recurring character than an occasional mm -hmm. character like Guinan. It was like, and it was almost like we're not getting Guinan, and so they're giving us more Roe because it, it was nice that she was in this episode and doing some stuff. I agree, and I like that she's not necessarily the focus of this episode, too, right? So right. it is about right. her just being a member of the crew. Right, which makes her more of a real cast member than, like, when she's on, well, we got to make it about her. Yeah, and agreed. That is, yeah. Picard and Worf talk for a long time in whispers before anybody seems to notice. Basa, 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 Right? With, I mean, I guess they, they've been in a storm for 200 years. They don't realize that people talk. Their uh, ambient hearing is pretty fucked, really, with all that wind. Oh, I didn't even think about that. They were not wearing uh, noise protection on their ears. No, they were not. Yeah. Oh, shit. We know so much more now. <laughs> but it's a cool shot. I do I do have to say, I really liked the tension of having um, Worf and Picard in the foreground with the three adversaries in the background. I don't know about you, but I was glued 
to the adversaries being like, are they watching? Like I was, I was nervous that whole scene, which I thought was really well directed. Picard doesn't believe that Shumar is who he's a, he is. Uh, he's she and, and Klingons have things about spirits embodying other people. So Worf's on board. He thinks it, it could be possible, but Picard doesn't believe it. And then data comes and cuts them off. Did I skip over the point where data was insulting Worf? I think I did. Yeah. But I, yeah, I do want to know that. We can talk about it if you want. Yeah, let's talk about it because it was. I thought it was very fun. What did you think, Eric? Oh, I agree. It's it's one of the things I'm talking about with Brent Spiner. Like, he gets to just play a completely different character in a completely different genre in a completely different series, and he he <laughs> he just goes for it. And you know, Dorn had a great time going back at him too because that that's not unless it's lore. You know, that's not uh, a situation where those two actors get to, who are good friends at this point, get to go at each other like that. It's just really fun to look at from any direction you wanted to. Oh, I didn't even think about it at that point, but like you're at, right? That must have been fun for the actors to do something different that was outside of what the, the camaraderie that they might have had. Yeah, that's cool. And again, I, I agree with you. I just felt he was a different character wholeheartedly. And it was so stark contrast to the nice accommodating person that data is too just the fact I mean, he's a bully and you can uh, see that i take offense to the word person <laughs> <laughs> personage the 10 forward is o'brien uh, having that conversation with keiko about the bracelet uh he's like i bought that for you i remember and then there's that moment where he goes in to kiss her as well Don't which like. was really oh, disturbing donut like yeah, it was interesting watching them discover the character, the, the the people they inhabited. I wonder, like, was was the Troy character was that a man? What was the Captain Schumer? Was that a man or a woman originally? Supposedly, I believe it was supposed to be a, a male name. Because that's you know, like, if it is, then like, there's that bit of ooh, I'm Bryce. You know, I'm in uh, a. a a different body than I've ever experienced before. And the memories would be, I think, very different and alien to a guy. Yeah, yeah. And you, so you think uh, Colm Meany as O'Brien is trying to battle with that at the same time, right? Like, I have these No, I just thought I it was lovely memories. that, you know, picking through it. Like, mm. it's like a person who has amnesia remembering something. And, and it was nice. It's like, I... He's grasping with numb fingers at these things. Like, I remember buying a bracelet for you. I remember it's like he's talking himself into remembering more of it. And at that moment, it was like, I didn't know. It was like, oh, is this a breakthrough? Is this, is this, um, uh, uh, what's his name coming? coming O'Brien coming top. out. Yeah. Yeah. It coming, but it wasn't. I was like, oh, that's nice that he's plucking things. This, this guy who's taking it over. Um, and it made it a little, uh, a creepier. Talk about creepy. I thought when he first noticed the bracelet, uh, she was still holding Molly, and he goes, I gave you that. And all I thought was he was talking about the fucking baby. <laughs> I'm oh, like, same. I guess that's a way to put it, you fucking creepo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it is Troy uh, as Bryce Schumar, uh, or said that says, leave her alone. Like, that's the thing that breaks it up is another evil person or another co-conspirator just being like, ah, you're causing too much trouble more than it's worth. Yeah, and but that was nice. I think that was a writer's tip of the hand mm. because it seemed like it was connected to something that they don't uh, they don't talk about. Like, you're doing your same old thing. 
Mm. We're not here to mess with women or for you to have your way like you, you know, and I don't want to expose. But when they when they when I was watching, I was like, there's something like leave her alone. The way she said it was like there seemed to be like a recollection of a a, a pattern of behavior. Mm. Right. Um, Which was kind of nice. That is. And it's actually similar with the data character and how Troy's character reels him in. Right. Like that. He's right. Over bravado and wants to get into fights and she's like that's not what we're doing here you know we're fighting klingons we're, we got a bigger fish to fry he knows his job is to be right at that line but he doesn't know how to stay on one side of it or the other yeah and that's up to her yeah so she they say they're trying to go uh over the spr uh for a proper burial <laughs> they want them all to be uh released first and dayton threatens to kill so this is where they all of a sudden bring uh, the guns out uh, on the individual hostages. And this is when we enact the plan. LaForge and Roe are doing their plasma charge, but Data steps out of the range at the last second, and it only shocks three, uh, two of them. Troy and O'Brien are down. They, they, Their yells of, of pain are, are pretty terrible, too, in this episode. Hard to watch. Right? Um Yes. But then Data grabs uh, Picard's neck and squeezes. And, uh, That's Picard... really well done. It is. Yeah. <laughs> That's not easy to pull it's off. It's so simple. Yeah. No, it's not. It's so simple and it's so impossible. And, and they do it just old school. And two actors just doing really, really incredible, trustworthy work. It's fun. Yeah. Um, because even though uh, they know that Data is strong as an android, but he's double strong because he's got a little point of light inside of him. Mm. That's right. So he's extra strong, which is why Worf shows such restraint. It's like three Irishmen. <laughs> he's got like three Irishmen in him. <laughs> and the uh, captain says, no, uh, call off the plan. Uh, it didn't work. And are you ready to cooperate? He is for now. And uh, commercial break, we go into this ending where the uh, electromagnetic storm activity is making everything go off. There's an ionic cyclone happening, uh, which I love. I love ionic cyclones, uh, almost as good as the blizzard uh, from Dairy Queen. <laughs> I was going to say the ionic uh, cyclone really gets my uh, carpets clean. Like, it's just really... <laughs> 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 oh, middle-aged humor. <laughs> the best. We uh, have some back and forth about shutting down the uh, transporter powers. That's been part of the thing that the bridge has been trying to do is to get transporters to be able to come in and out of here. That has been shut down. They transfer some of the power to uh, O'Brien so that he can do it. And there's this one really great shot where O'Brien says, Bridge, I said all of the transporters, including the ones on the shuttlecraft. And it's a fast cut to Roe being like, God dang it. (laughs) This close. Shoot. And Riker even goes, Sorry, Cap. Nice try. (laughs) It's worth it, but we didn't get a fast one over them. And then this is also where uh, they'd go to Cargo Bay 4. And Picard specifically says, Number one, we must take this opportunity to take our fan, our, our friends to Cargo Bay 4. This is the clue to Riker to agree to this plan because there'll be some uh, development here that Picard hopefully has engineered. They don't even talk about it 
just through mutual agreement, they all go to the big Wonkavator. <laughs> Usually, it's a much smaller Wonkavator that they take, but this one fits like 30. It's really good. It is. It's a big one. It's a big one. It's like the great glass elevator. Yes. Well, it can go up ways and down ways and sideways and round ways. <laughs> right? Oh, no. <laughs> but in order to ensure that this plan works, they all have to take a hostage. And guess what? It's all the ones they've been talking to this whole time. So Troy takes Picard, Data takes Worf, and O'Brien takes his wife, but leaves the baby uh, with another woman, uh, which he was convinced to do so uh, by, by, by Keiko. They go to the amazing cargo bay four, and O'Brien is modifies the transporter to beam up hundreds of points of light uh, into this entire cargo bay. They're waiting for the signal of what to do up in the bridge, but this is where our villains, uh, in response to Picard saying, why don't you tell me who you really are? Um, <laughs> we cut away and then we cut back to, okay, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you the whole plot right now. Uh, and this is where they say they're all prisoners. This is a penal colony. They had been robbed of their in, uh, you know, corporeal bodies um, and uh, live out their lives seemingly forever on this dead planet in spirit form only as part of the magnetic storm here. And they've been trying to escape. They almost escaped once before 200 years ago when the Essex uh, came on board, but they were not able to secure that. And they've learned all their lessons <laughs> and uh, are trying to do it here with the Enterprise by taking their bodies. They want Not only do they want to just use the ship to get off of this penal colony planet, but they want to embody all of the bodies on this in order to do so and take those with them. Um, so this is potentially a very terrible thing for everyone who's a crew member of the Enterprise. They'd all end up like O'Brien, having the memories of dead people, but being suppressed and watching uh, these these criminals uh, control their bodies with no control of themselves. Eric? If I'm Captain Picard, I'm going to say, Wolf, go now, break everyone's left arm. <laughs> so he's just going to... <laughs> then we get an entire scene of Wolf running through the ship. Punching people in their left arm. Just got that. <laughs> even the baby, Everything even the babies perfect. need to even have Even the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I can't do that. Do it, Wolf. Do it. That's a direct order. We have no choice. <laughs> that would have been a very different oh episode. Ah, but... Unfortunately, there's alarm that there's hundreds of prisoners now in the cargo bay, and this gives Picard the advantage, ordering Dr. Crusher to activate the containment field, which keeps these entities within. And Picard says, I, unless you let us all go, I'm going to kill all of your prisoner friends. And uh, there's some back and forth there where both Worf and Keiko said, I would love to die for my for my country. Um calling on the bluff because the, the the Troy character says, oh, you won't kill these people. And they're like, no, we'd love to die for our for our friends. Um, and uh, that's it. <laughs> they just capitulate. They're they're honorable criminals in that they're just like, OK, fine. Don't kill our friends. Uh, and they all beam back down to the planet. And we have a little bit of a denouement here as uh, we kind of wrap up 
what's happening. Molly is really glad to have Chief O'Brien back. Seems Keiko does not have any <laughs> trauma from this event at all and is She's just fine, just happy. Uh, yeah. The weird way that O'Brien says what he says here, he says, if I could have killed the person who was embodying me, I would have. I was like, that, okay. Maybe just like push them out or like, <laughs> take in control or anything. You don't have to. It was. I thought it was a very uh, strange choice of words there. Um, I'll, what did you I'll think about the Irish to you someday? <laughs> Is that what really it was? All the movies get it right. It's just anger and recrimination and pain until you kill somebody and then die. <laughs> Hopefully in that order. Um, no, it's not true, my Irish friends. That's what the Banshees of Inner Shinnon was about. Yes. Um, what do you, what did you think, Eric, of this this closure of this little storyline with Molly and uh, the family reunited? Like it's fine, it's great, it's our family. We get one family on the Enterprise, and you know this is the one, uh, so we'll take it. Uh, Keiko's always a delight, and Miles is one of the best characters that's ever existed in television. So like, I'll take what I can get, even uh, at the end here, which is kind of fun. Like you know really the the character of o'brien as as written in next generation before he gets the chance to expand in deep space nine doesn't get all of colmini's strengths uh mm. the way that this scene kind of starts to attempt to he plays a a overwrought uh, over emotional kind of pathetic sad sack better than just about anybody on earth and that's what most of his film work is and it's hilarious and perfect and heartbreaking all at once and he gets to do a little bit of that in this episode and it's, it's really a lot of fun to watch plus one to that um we got a bit of a captain's log saying that they basically had no residual effects from this experience and then we get Troy talking about uh, her her experience. Uh, Kate, what did you think of her descriptions of feeling like she was possessed, like she was watching this all happen? I, I think that's what's the neatest about this episode in total, is that there is this um, level throughout the episode where you see glimmers, right? And how terror like that would be the most terrifying thing is to to be in your body and know that you have little to no control over what's happening to, but to be aware of it is just really like, everyone's going to need a lot of therapy after this. And the therapist is the one who needs the most. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point I was thinking of this whole time was like, it just seems to be like, yeah, it was a really terrible experience. I'm sure it won't ever, you know, awaken anything in them ever again. It just might. <laughs> Uh, except for Data, uh, who uh, goes to Worf and apologizes for being a dickhole to him. And we get the best, funniest Worf line at the end here, uh, where it, oh, Data's complimenting me. Oh, that must have shown, you must have shown some restraint uh, in not uh, kind of, uh, succumbing to my taunts. You have no idea. <laughs> so good. Classic. The early '90s were all about that response, right? That's a that's a reference to the Oscar-winning performance of uh, what's his name, Jeremy Irons, in *Reversal of Fortune*, which is then also 
quoted uh, in Lion King a few years later with this mm. one coming right in between. Uh, so it's a very nice, very... You have no idea. Apt and topical punchline. Love it. Sarcasm is king. That's the episode. I want to throw it around to y'all for some some final, final thoughts. And I am going to go to you first, Kate. What do you, what do you got for this episode? Well, this episode was unfamiliar to me, much like Jimmy. Uh, I remember more than Jimmy on the average, but this one was not one of those. Uh, so it was a delight. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, eight screaming babies. Um, <laughs> so you can imagine the cacophony. I think that, you know, we talked about this as an unsuccessful bottle episode when it comes to um, uh, how much money they spent on it. But it is a very successful bottle episode when it comes to just satisfaction for me in terms of it's taking characters that I know really well and temporarily turning them on their heads in a way that's not going to have lasting um, impact on the series proper, right? Like we talked about, there are episodes, there are sort of bottle-ish episodes where the ending is like, oh, too bad we killed those people. And then they just kind of gloss over it. <laughs> so like, at least there's no like deep psychological, you know, trauma that they're, well, no, there is, there is deep psychological trauma <laughs> that they are going to have to deal with at some point, but For we just won't baby. see it. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I just was pleased with uh, the performances as a whole. We've talked about Brent a lot. We've talked about Colm. I think that um, I think that Marina does a nice job as well. Like with that with that character change. Um, certainly not as physical as Spiner was, but like her demeanor, her voice. You know, she dropped that voice down a few octaves mm -hmm. as a character actor. I love the study of the moment before they were revealed to be who they were. How do you act like somebody who's in somebody who you kind of know who they are, but not like in that moment um, that broke my brain, just saying that sentence out loud. Um, but what a fun <laughs> exercise for actors and for audience to see the results of. So, you know, even though, you know, do you have to watch this episode? Sometimes we ask. I don't think so um, in terms of long lasting um, ramifications that we'll, we'll talk about in the future. But I'm a fan. I like this episode. Sweet. Good point. I will throw it to you, Eric, for your final thoughts. I will give it seven Riker chest fists. <laughs> it's that's one of my favorite moments in in Star Trek history. That just that little bit where he's like security to the bridge. <laughs> he just cannot breathe, and that little choice he made makes me so happy because you seldom see Riker so flat footed. So when he decides to do that, it's just delightful. I think all three of our possessed uh, crew members, like Kate said, were, were just terrific. The episode as a whole, like I remember the setup, I didn't remember much of the specifics. And the only real gripe I have is that if you're not going to have Guinan in the episode, stop fucking making 10 forward the location of the conflict. Fucking stop it. I know you only have four sets, 
but fucking stop it because otherwise I won't necessarily notice that she's not there. But if you keep going to her house where she lives and like <laughs> fuck the whole place up and she never shows her face, I'm confused. <laughs> so that's my only complaint. Uh, I love this episode. Good, good hard seven. Sweet. Jimmy G, what you got? Uh, I think I'll give it eight Betazoid backhammers. <laughs> Yay! Minus one. They should have put a warning sign on this planet. So seven. <laughs> True. Um, I give it uh, that for uh, uh, for all the reasons that Kate said about the acting. I would say yes, you should watch mm. this. It doesn't impact the future, like Kate said, but. If you become a fan of these characters, for all the reasons that Eric had said as well, this is an episode to watch so you can see these characters. These actors do some special things. And like Eric had said during the episode, um, you get to see Colmini actually get to chew on the scenery a bit. And that's nice to see that, oh yeah, he's not just the, the guy in the back to play the everyman. This is an actor with some chops and he can do some stuff. So it was nice to see him come out of the shell. The, the big questions I have, and I'm I'm wondering if sci-fi is different now than it was then for one, one of many reasons, but one big one is nowadays it's not good enough just to have a, 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 a clever idea or a question. Like, what if there's these disembodied prisoners on a planet that live forever and they're just fighting for a way to, to get out? That's a nice premise. But today it'd also be like, it's a nice premise, but... What are the ramifications of that? What does that mean? And one of those things is, I think with the Federation, the people on the ship would ask is like, okay, one, what's the tech that allows him to do that? Because we want it in the Federation right now to be able to disembody, but still have a conscious mind that goes on and lives and can count the days and plot. This is useful to us. Uh, and two, who are these assholes who can do that and didn't put a little sign up and said, don't come here. <laughs> these are where our bad guys are. Yeah. Because that's a that's a big faux pas. And obviously these people know about other races because the data guy, the guy who took over the data, he doesn't like Klingons. He has a bigotry towards them. So he's aware of this species. So they know enough to know that there's other people who can space travel. Uh, they should have put up a, get, you know, don't come here, son. <laughs> and they did. So these are the questions I think that it's a little different in today's sci-fi because I think writers would ask those things. Like, why didn't they do that? We need to answer that and um, find a clever reason as to why uh, that's down or these people can still go there. So uh, a hard seven, as um, Eric said. Seven the hard way. Wait, you can't do that. <laughs> anyway, I uh, think that's all really fascinating. And I think based on all of that, as well as this discussion, I'm going to give this one six points of light that don't go into Riker. Because <laughs> a little bit less than you guys, because I think you're totally right, Jimmy. And I don't think the writers of this even really acknowledged the implications of what it means to disembody someone in a prison type situation and leave them on a planet indefinitely. Like that seems like a much more terrible punishment than just killing them, than just having the capital punishment or, or, you know, right. Like, so you must live forever knowing what you've done and almost feels crueler than whatever crime that they might have committed. Um, and then I think you're right. Today's writers would have delved into that idea and thought about the morality of 
of, of that uh, and whether it was worth it. Uh, in 1992, they couldn't really go into any of that on the criminal justice. I mean, we were in the era of Clinton coming in and starting to talk about super predators and all that. And so it was certainly like uh, 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 not in the in the general uh, way of, of thinking about uh, rights of prisoners in, in this type of thing. But I think you're right. It, it's a totally an ethical question that is not covered at all. Also, I'll plus one all of what you said about performances. Fantastic. I do like the characters and how you see them from a different point of view. Really, really great stuff there. I don't like that the criminals are just like, they care more about their other criminals, which as far as I know about people who uh, uh, are, are sociopaths or whatever, they wouldn't care about the yeah, just get out. <laughs> 500 leftover ones. They would just want, they would have been trying to do something selfish for themselves just to escape or whatever. And it seemed like, they just rolled over really easy at the end of this episode. And we're like, okay, cool. We'll go back. No harm, no foul. I feel like you guys don't understand Slash at all. <laughs> I don't understand Slash <laughs> at all. It's true. Yeah. I don't know what makes them tick. Uh, I don't know their story, right? And so I think that's part of it. A lost chance to really know were these political prisoners? Were they were they people from uh, a planet that was taken over or something like that? Like, why? what is their story? What did they actually do? I feel like that's important information that we never got uh, about these characters, which would have been cool. But it is a really fun episode. Solid Star Trek, solid sci-fi. You get to see Rolaren and Riker and uh, even Crusher getting in the mix about uh, how to solve the problem here, which I always love when uh, each of the crew members kind of gives their their crew memberness to solve a problem. And we see that happen here, uh, as well as, of course, seeing uh, O'Brien's family come back together at the end. Very good stuff. A little bit like our little podcast family getting back together after a month of traveling and holidays and getting back into the swing of recording. So it was really great uh, to spend this time with the three of you as always. And uh, because of that, my eyes are wet and they've tears have tripled all the way down into my pants. That's a lot of tears. I've been crying this entire Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by mojojojo underscore 97 on Twitter or mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we reengage. <laughs>